Welcome to Mormon Land, the Solid Tribune's podcast about LDS culture and teachings. I'm Dave Noyce. I'm a managing editor and the religion editor at the Tribune, joined by our senior religion reporter, Peggy Fletcher Stack. Hi, Peggy. Hi, Dave. Glad to have you here. Today, we're going to be talking about the Genesis Group, a longtime support organization for black Mormons. Helping us do so is Don Harwell, who was just recently released after serving, get this, 22 years in the branch presidency, 14 years of those as the president, and his wife, Jerry Harwell, who labored side by side with him in the group's women's organizations. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to have you here. So Don and Jerry, the typical Mormon bishop or branch president serves for about five years. You nearly tripled that time as president. Bishops served for five to seven, stake presidents <laughs> from uh, eight to ten. ten. And you eclipsed them both. How did you feel when you were released? I don't, I don't know that I really had a feeling because I had been so prepared for it. You know, you know, one day it's coming and then they talk to you and tell you that you're going to be released. And I had about six or seven days to mentally you know, realize that I was going to be released. Did you want it to come sooner? <sighs> Only so somebody else would have the same opportunity I did. But the calling itself, no. I Jer did not. Yeah. Jerry, how did you feel? I was so happy. <laughs> 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 it was a huge relief. And I feel the only other way out of that calling was by death. So this is much preferred. <laughs> way to be released. You know, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, callings come and callings go, and you got to let them go. No one owns them. So let's go through a little, uh, some history. Um, wh uh, were you both uh, lifelong members of the church, or did you convert? And at, at what, what years, if you did join the church, before or after 1978? I think Jerry should go first. Hers is a little more interesting. I'm a convert to the church. I joined in September 1977 when I was about 18 years old. I was away at college. And what, how, did you, how did you come to join? And what did you think about the black band at the time? I didn't know it, but I, I sent for missionaries. I, I didn't realize it. I watched the program the, the, because the Osmond brothers were on it, the Osmonds, and later learned it was produced by the LDS Church. And they wisely put the Osmonds on at the end, so you had to watch the program. And during the program, <laughs> it was a phone number. Would you like more information about this program? And I thought, yeah. I, I'm away at college. I'd like some mail. So I sent for it. Came, stuffed it away in a drawer. Cleaning out the drawer several weeks later, I flipped through the brochure, and there was a card. Would you like more information about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? And I thought, ooh, I'll get some more mail. And so I sent it in, and two male missionaries showed up and talked with them. You know, I told my parents, uh, George Romney was former governor of Michigan, so my mom knew of him, and she felt she knew about Mormons hey, they don't like blacks, they don't let blacks join the church. So the next time I met with the missionaries, I asked. And a member was with them and said, I sure am glad you asked that tonight. And the missionaries explained it. It just went right over my head. It didn't mean anything to me because being female, I couldn't hold the priesthood anyway. So it was a non-issue. 
until I, after I joined the church and wanted to go on a mission. Then I was told a full-time mission. I was told, no, I couldn't because blacks didn't hold the priesthood. And I said, well, I'm not asking to hold the priesthood. And he said, well, you can't participate in Melchizedek priesthood ordinances in the temple. Oh, okay, but being in college and learning and critical thinking, I also argued. And I said, look, there are some missionaries who go out who do not have their endowments. I'm not asking for my endowments. Just let me go out. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me help spread it. And they said, well, who would you teach? I said, I'll teach whites. I'll teach anyone. And at this time, the church didn't openly teach black Latter-day Saints until after June 1978, or teach blacks. And so anyway, they wouldn't let me go on a mission. And then I had a hard time with that. I felt, oh, no, I made a mistake. I've joined a racist church. God is racist. I'm not going back. And I resolved not to go back. But that week, I found myself in prayer asking Heavenly Father, why? Why me? Why was I born with Negroid blood such that I couldn't have rights to the priesthood or going to the temple? And I received an answer. I, I, I heard, I have never given a reason. And I thought, what? Because by now I've studied it. What about what Bruce McConkie said and Joseph Fieldney Smith and this person and this person? And I heard that same voice say, I have never given a reason. And with that, I went back. I never believed it was of God. So where were you? Do you remember where you were in June 8th, 1978? Yes. I was at home in my parents' house in Detroit, and I heard a news story break. President Spencer W. Kimball, and I stopped because I thought he died. <laughs> <laughs> and I turned and looked at the, t the television set, and I heard the announcement. I thought, no, no way. Who could I call? But back then, it was a long-distance call that you paid for. So I didn't want to call anyone at college where I was. I was in a, a ward uh, in Pontiac, Michigan, you know, closer to college. And so I thought, wait a minute. This affects me directly. If this is true, I can pray about it, and Henry Father will tell me personally. So I went into my bedroom, knelt down and prayed and asked Heavenly Father, I just heard on the news that Spencer W. Kimbo has, and before I could even finish the sentence, I had a really strong burning that lasted the rest of the day. So I knew, I had a personal witness. And before I got up off my knees, I told, I promised Heavenly Father I committed to serving a full-time mission. And did you? Yes. Where? I, I, in Houston, Texas. I had to wait a while because I wasn't old enough. I knew the church was true, but I didn't know women didn't go out until they were 21 at that time. So I wasn't old enough. Uh, I was only about 19 then, so I had to wait, and I waited. And Don, what's your story? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing as, ex as exciting as hers. My story is um, I lived in Denver, and once every four weeks I came to Salt Lake City. And uh, my roommate's girlfriend was over here for business just like I was. So we're having dinner, and this lady's sitting in front of me, and she keeps turning around. And my uh, roommate's girlfriend says, I think she she's interested in you. So I turn around. She was cute. So we danced, and uh, she invited me to, to go to church. 
obviously I'm leaving out a whole, but she invited me to go to church, which meant I had to stay over till Sunday because my plane was leaving Saturday. So that night I ran and got the, the ticket changed and stayed and went to church. And at church, when we went in, I'm sitting as far back as I can right next to the door because me going to church, there's going to be thunder and lightning in the building. So I figured I'd better have a quick escape. But uh, And she was speaking, so she's up on the stand. Now, this was not me. Yeah. Just to clarify, <laughs> this was someone else. <laughs> yeah, this is way before I met Jerry. And... Uh, so they passed the sacrament, and I took the sacrament, and she's waving, no, no, don't do that. And I'm waving back, how you doing? I'm okay. And uh, they passed the water, and I took the water. And as uh, soon as the, mat, or the, the sacrament was over, the sacrament meeting was over, this guy runs up and gets in my face and goes, you're Mormon, aren't you? And sticks his hand. I said, no, I'm a heathen, and I was ready. He stepped back, looked at me, stepped forward again, stuck his hand on again, says, I don't care what you are, you're welcome. <clears throat> and I was not expecting that. So you could have pushed me over with a feather. So after that little excitement, and it was excitement to me, uh, she finally got over there and said, look, why don't you go into the Sunday school class? And Because I've got to go talk to the bishop. So I walk in the classroom. Now, you, if, if you're LDS, you walk into a classroom. There's four rows of chairs, and every row was filled except the front row where the teacher was standing right on top of her husband. I learned later it was her husband. I mean, right on top of him. And about every five seconds, he'd fall asleep. He had narcolepsy, really bad. Nobody else wanted to sit next to him. So I sat down next to him, and I mean, my... But hit the seat, and he hit my shoulder. He was out. So my first Sunday school class, I'm playing catch with the guy next to me. But didn't bother me. I didn't care. So she stepped back, got into the lesson. It's over. Everybody in that class shook my hand and told me what a great guy I was for playing catch with him. I was having more fun at church than I was in the uh, bars I usually was in on a Saturday night. What year was this? 1983. So, so when did you join? July of 83. Oh, it was May. It was May? May. About May of 83. I don't know why I think July. How long, how long after your first experience did you get back? I went home, and I think Wednesday I called. I went home on Sunday, and I think Wednesday I called over here and asked to have the missionaries come see me. Because seriously, I had so much more better feeling more better but i had so much more feeling in church it felt better than you know going and hanging out in the bars so they came in elder perryman and elder Terena. i don't think i'll ever forget them and elder perryman was more outgoing and he and i hit it off really good and when they came in the house the spirit was so thick he could cut it with a knife i mean it was really heavy so I knew something was going on. I wasn't sure what it was. My experience with the church was I'd never joined a church that was racist, that would not let me be a full-time member, and that's why it was 83. And the Lord, I really feel the Lord directed me there. It wasn't an accident. The Lord 
when I was ready, he shoved me out there. And uh, the third lesson, they couldn't come out. They had a car, and they usually could come out to my house. And I said, it's okay, I got a car, I'll come in and see you. So we met at the gymnasium at the University of Colorado. They were, their offices were above the gymnasium. So uh, they came in, talked, somebody came and got them. I stood up, walked to the window and said, okay, is this really the true church? And I got such a burning, I dare not ask again. If I had got that same burning, I'd have been a crispy critter. It was strong. It was no question. So I had my answer. Did You said you would never join a racist church. You, know, you came, you joined obviously after right. uh, the end to the ban. When you heard about the ban, did that, did that rattle you? Did that change your opinion at all? I never heard about the ban. Oh, well, I heard that blacks couldn't hold the priesthood, and I heard that uh, they were, the church was, uh, had an anti-black history, and... Uh, what's the word, program, that we couldn't carry the priesthood. Hmm. So there was no way I was going to... I'm from L.A. I survived the Watts riots and all that stuff, so I wasn't about to go put myself into a sec, as a second-class citizen anywhere. Mm-hmm. How did you get involved in Genesis? Ooh. And maybe you could tell, uh, maybe you could say a little bit about what Genesis is for those who may not know. Genesis was started in 1971 as a support group for African Americans, previous to the priesthood revelation. Uh, when I would come over here, and it was usually sometime around the first uh, Sunday of the month, somebody invited me to to go to Genesis. I don't remember who it was. Michael Bellamy. Michael Bellamy. And uh, so I went, and it was nice, and it was the first time I ever went anywhere with any kind of program where there was other blacks there, and I'm going, all right, this is okay, you know. <laughs> and I met Ruffin, Ruffin and Betty Bridgeforth, and uh, it was really low attendance because we had the priesthood. We didn't need Genesis anymore, we thought. So... Now, th- I'm, I'm repeating this. Um, Ruffin said he was getting calls, and people weren't happy because they were not being treated very well in a lot of the wards. And right after the revelation, from what I understand, people were not being treated very well. But anyway, we have the priesthood now, so we're thinking we don't need a separate support group. So it kind of went dormant. I can't say it closed down because the brethren never closed it down. In 1996, uh, Ruffin, Bridgeforth, Darius Gray, and myself uh, were having a meeting at Ruffin's house. And uh, I said, you know what, guys, we really need to start this back up again so people can have some support. Because otherwise, everybody's going to leave. Because people still did not want to accept the fact that... uh, you know, we had the priesthood. There's a lot of people that thought this was a social club. And so how, was it a branch when it was? It was never a branch. It was a group. It, was a, it group. was a dependent branch. When it first started in 1971 is my understanding of the history in that the Genesis group, and some referred to it as a branch, was dependent 
on another ward for the priesthood to pass the sacrament priesthood ordinances. But they didn't, Genesis didn't do sacrament, did they? So, but you were in a branch presidency. You were called the branch presidency. So how was Genesis different from a regular Mormon worship service? You're saying okay. no sacrament, but there's testimonies, okay. right? In 78, blacks received the priesthood, every worthy male member. Genesis, the Genesis group, is unique in the church. I don't know that there's anything else like it. It's not a ward, and it's not a branch. It's a group. And on the first Sundays of the month, we have a meeting. It's a fireside-type meeting, but it's not a fireside because what fireside has a presidency that presides? So even though Don was referred to as president, he had two counselors who was president, it was not a branch. It's the Genesis group. And it's unique in the church. There's nothing else like it. But it's it's not a branch. So, Jere, what what were your roles? What have been your roles with the Genesis group? Because they also have auxiliaries somehow. I don't know exactly how that works either. Yes, Genesis has a relief society, young men, young women. We have a nursery. So we have a place for the youth and for the children to go. And a primary. And a primary. My role has primarily been to support Don. Every now and again, I'd have a calling. But there were times when I had five callings. Because in Genesis, you have to hold half callings in your own ward and stake in addition to Genesis. It got to be a bit much. So I would tell Don, uh, because I always say I sleep with the man who makes these decisions, I would tell him I didn't need a calling per se. Just let me do the work, but I don't need another calling. So I was never Relief Society president. I worked with activities. I, I want everybody to listen. She's telling me what she doesn't need. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, with, when Ruffin was alive, I started the newsletter that went out around the world. I worked on that. I worked with... Uh, not really PR, but writing about the church or if they needed something. And typically I was with Don if he was interviewed by someone, but that was primarily my role. So he always wanted me there at the meetings to support him. And no, most to remember of the time, stuff I couldn't remember. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> most of the time I was there. Every now and again I'd have another commitment, but usually I was there just to support him. So how many people at are at a Genesis meeting? If we have, we had Alex Boyer come, there was over 700. Wow. Um, we had um, David Archuleta. David Archuleta come, there was over 700. In fact, it got so bad, the police came in and said people had to move their cars because every inch of the parking lot was full for both of them. And then three meetings ago, we had a group called Just People, which is a brand new group. Probably nobody knows too much about them yet, but they've got a following. And they packed and the there was And it was five to 700 again. Now, last week when we had uh, the releasing, there was over 300, 340-some-odd people there. Considering we didn't have a, you know, a big thing going, it was interesting. I didn't think there would be that many people there. What what role does Genesis play now? You talked about why it was revived. Uh, or, or it never was really gone, but why it what started, you know, 
amping well, up again. What's the value it plays now? Well, l- let me go back there, if you don't mind. Um, at the time, in 96, when we started up, Ruffin was getting calls all the time because people would go to their local wards and not feel accepted. We started up again with six people. Ruffin and his wife, Darius. Darius's wife wasn't there. Who was there? I can't remember there who was that six other one was. It might have been Natalie. It was um, Daniele. Could have been. A guy I worked for. We can still tell you're married. <laughs> <laughs> 30 years, we kind of <laughs> talk for each other. But, um, And then it started to build. Once word got out that we were doing again, it, we started in the Relief Society room where uh, Peggy, the building we were in, and I'd say four or five months later, we moved into the chapel. And it grew, I mean, it grew pretty fast. But I, when I say grow, maybe 100, 150 people. And it's, it serves the purpose of supporting the church in the threefold mission of the church. So it's there for support, for missionary support, to help with retention, to answer questions. To make people feel welcome. The thing that's interesting to me over the years is I, I would say there's more white people excited about Genesis than there ever has been about black people. We're 60-40 white now, and a majority of it is because of uh, white families that have adopted black kids, and those parents want those kids to see black leadership, to see that there's an opportunity for them, there's some place to go and possibly you know, be able to practice leadership. So you said early on some people came because they were experiencing some uncomfortable comments or a feeling of outsider status in their congregations. I would say it was ruder than that. Ruder than that. Some just not being given here. Yeah, they weren't given callings. Are they still, are, is that still happening today? Yes. Yes, absolutely. They both say yes. Yes. Uh, I got a call six months to a year ago from a guy in Arlington, Texas. And his bishop, uh, they didn't send home teachers, visiting teachers for the wife, and they never got a calling. And I I even tried to explain this to presidency of the 70 that you guys are not going to get the calls because they're not going to call somebody that looks like the person that's giving them the problem. They're going to call me. The one person can't do anything except tell them what's going on. So black Mormons from time to time still hear racist comments or or or, or, or worse, uh, or you know, ostracization or whatever. Yes. Black sat so on still the fence, all the myths. So what more could church leaders, rank-and-file members do to eliminate or counter that kind of stuff that still happens? The only thing left to do is put a general authority or a, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve to show that we're equal. Right now, if you look at the leadership of the church, it's very all white. white. Yes. yes. Now, and, you and know what? It's not very white. Mm-hmm. They just happen to be white, and God called them. I don't hold their their skin color against them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, until people carrying um, 
what's the word, bad feelings or not believing that, that blacks are equal, you know, that just supports it. Now, this is where we disagree. This is from the book of Sister Harwell. <laughs> I don't believe that's the only thing. But I know when we look at church leadership, when you go to LDS.org, you see the first presidency, the Quorum of the Twelve, the presidency of the Seventy, and those faces are white. Now, down in the quorums of the Seventy, you'll see a little bit of diversity there. But go through the other auxiliaries, Sunday School Presidency, Relief Society, Young Men, Young Women, and tell me what you see. Bishop then go to JW.org. Even Jehovah's Witnesses has some diversity. Their God believes in and practices diversity. Go to Seventh-day Adventist leadership. Their God believes in and practices diversity, and there's even a woman there in that nine. So why is it if whites are only, as they say, estimate about a third of the population on the earth, why is the Lord's true church 100% white leadership? That part I don't get, and I don't agree with, but it's not up to me. <laughs> well, good question. Why is it so? Yeah, so, so there's two openings right now uh, in in the upper echelon of the church with apostles. So I take it we uh, mentioned uh, that to the uh, uh, also a, uh, an African American or or a black or an uh, Asian face, or an Asian or Pacific Islander or, or Latino Hispanic, or yeah or you know, someone from Brazil. What would that do if they if if that kind of naming happened? For whichever race it is, it's going to give them a big boost. Does it help the others, though, also? For instance, if, if an African-American is selected, can, can, do you think other, other racial groups, ethnic groups, could, could say, hmm, that shows me it's possible? What do you think? Possible. It, it opens the possible. door. I, I don't believe I would fall over flat on my face if they called a black, African-American black, into the Quorum of the Twelve without that person going through other realms of leadership in the church. Just typically doesn't happen. So in 2013, the church published uh, an essay called Race and the Priesthood. Has that made a difference? Has that helped in, in terms of some of the attitudes that a lot of Mormons have? It Whoa. has made a difference, perhaps, for those who are aware of it, who those who know it's there, those who have read it, overall know because th there are some problems. I think it's helped. It was a long time coming. It didn't answer a lot of questions of why. It says we don't know why they did the ban on blacks and priesthood. Well, that lets you know it wasn't of God, but they won't say that. They don't want to throw Brother Brigham under the bus, etc. We've all heard that. But there's even a line in there that says, that the organization of the church promotes diversity, something to that effect. I'd have to have that uh, document in front of me, and I don't. But no, it doesn't, because again, look at the leadership of the church. It says we don't teach racism, we aren't racist, but what they do speaks so loudly, no one can hear what they're saying. So President Monson was one of the three apostles who helped create Genesis, yes. and um, he just passed away last week. Who's the last apostle, LDS apostle, who was in the room when the 1978 revelation was experienced and taught? 
What does that do to Genesis? How do you all, what are your feelings about President Monson and what will be its impact, his death's impact? I got to spend a day with him on Rough and Bridge Force 25th anniversary. And he was truly Genesis 25th anniversary. And he was genuinely, like everybody said, he was just a real big teddy bear, real nice guy. And at the time, Ruffin was in a wheelchair, and I was his second counselor, so I was kind of in charge of, you know, rolling him around and make sure he got to where he needed to be. And uh, that night, I'll never forget, President Monson never got farther away than we are from each other right now from Ruffin. And you could see, I could see, the respect and the love they had for each other. They were truly friends. And that helped, that helped settle me down a lot. And time will tell what the impact is of having him gone. The last apostle, last general authority who was alive when Genesis was created. Right now, Genesis perhaps is evolving but I think time will tell what will happen with it. There is a new presidency, as you know, and, and we wish them well. Be aware that two of those in the presidency have never attended Genesis. So it is a way, a time to remake, rethink Genesis, but I don't believe it will remain the same. So who is in the presidency now? Maybe you could let everyone know who they are. I said they hadn't been to Genesis. I didn't Outside know. Outside of Davis, I, Davis, Davis Stovall, is, Stovall is the new president. I don't know the other two guys. Uh, Jamal Willis. Jamal. Yes, that, yeah. That's what I read. No, Jamal went to BYU, played football. That's at the football BYU. player, right? Right. Okay. All right. So, I didn't know that. Yeah. We'll have to fix this part. <laughs> but I, I, I don't yeah. know them. They're both, all three of them have a testimony. Mm-hmm. They all know the church is true. So the thing that's going to change with Genesis, and this was told to me, um, it's going to be a springboard for other Genesis groups around the country because we've had so much success and we're bringing people in in large numbers, even like this past Sunday. You know, I never would have thought we'd had 300 people just to watch us get released. You know, this... June, there's an opportunity, some say, with the 40th anniversary of the end of the priesthood and temple ban. What would you like to see happen for that? I can't talk about it, but I'm on a committee that's working on that. It's, they are going to do something. We don't know exactly what yet, but uh, the people on the committee are all African-Americans, so they're kind of letting the African-Americans have this as a, a program or a project for the 40th. And I'm aware of the Utah Black Summit put on by University of Utah, black faculty and staff, and they want to somehow recognize, honor, have a panel about the 40th anniversary of the priesthood ban. And that is the black community at large. That didn't have a LDS genesis with it. Uh, meaning a beginning coming out of LDS uh, workings or, or from the church. That's the black community here. So uh, back to what you were saying, Jeremy, 
what are you excited about about the possible you say Genesis is evolving what what are you excited about the possibilities of what it could do for black Mormons nationwide worldwide she asked you <laughs> let me answer that question there is going to be an opportunity let me give you two examples if you're LDS if you know in handbook number two you're not allowed as a choir to, to go and sing in other wards or branches or stakes we have the Unity Gospel Choir which is led by Deborah Bonner which was released by the church to travel. We are the, the Black Tabernacle Choir without <laughs> uh, church control because they gave us complete control of it. I'm also president of the choir. And that is huge. And right now we're out trying to raise money so we can travel once a quarter and go to different cities and show what the church is doing and how it's growing. And our, our choir is well integrated. So it shows how much we love each other. I mean, that choir is amazing. In fact, sometimes it's beyond amazing. And it's amazing because how much people really care about each other. You can see, you know, there's a, an excellent feeling that comes out of that choir. So now... We have permission from the brethren to travel and take that with us. That's going to be part of the growth of the Genesis group. Now, the choir, though, is not uh, connected with the church. It, it's not. It's a separate entity, a nonprofit. Right, but it's, it's, they're mostly Mormons, right? Majority is Mormon. Um, you said two things. The choir is one thing that you're excited about in the for the future. Is it just the expanding uh, model of Genesis? When I was called as president, I would get calls from all over the country to come and talk. And I went three or four places. And then uh, they... The brethren? <laughs> Stop. You were only to work Salt Lake City and this Utah. And so that kind of put an end to it. Now, I feel like they're going to let us go. Let us go out and... And they also said, uh, people, because there's a group in Florida, Los Angeles, uh, D.C., Washington, D.C., Oakland, California, Los Angeles, California. There, there are groups. That are Genesis-type. Type that, that have Genesis-type meetings. Except Los Angeles says, we are Genesis. No, you're not. We're Genesis. No, you're not. We're Genesis. <laughs> it's a Comic-Con <laughs> yeah. lawsuit. Yes. And my direct response to what you asked is no comment. <laughs> Let's just wait and see what happens. I don't know that Genesis will remain the same as I say. I see it evolving, but I don't know. And the reason I don't know is I don't know this new presidency. I don't know them. You could ask me about certain people, what would Don think, feel, or believe, and I could respond. For the most part, you can ask me, what would President Darius Great think, feel, or believe? For the most part, I could respond and be fairly accurate. I don't know them. We don't know them. Well, I know Davis pretty well. Um, but the point is, 
the future, it's so important to this church, everyone has said, to have role models and mentors in this community. And Genesis has been that for so many people. Now, as you say, Don, if you're able to go out and about or you set up other chapters, whether they're exactly like Genesis or different, it's still people who look like them, who can respond to questions or things that people say. It seems to me that that's very much an optimistic step. The history of the church is, you know, the racist is, it's still there. There's always going to be people like that. But the church itself has said they don't believe in it and they don't practice it anymore. So I don't know what else we could ask for. And when somebody says to me, you, you were part of a racist church, I go, well, you're part of a racist America. And it, within that racist America, let me ask you a question. You may consider it rhetorical. They may not teach it and preach it, but they practice it. Yeah. Would you agree? Who, the church? or The, the church. Pr- and so when someone who has those negative feelings, prejudices, racist background, when they look at the LDS church, it puts a rubber stamp on it. Oh, okay, you say, you know, racism is wrong, but what you do is differently. So we get it. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll keep saying we aren't racist, but we'll keep at it because that's the example that's there. Would you agree or disagree? If the country... And even though there's still racial problems, this country's come a long ways. Oh, absolutely. So I and, and so I, is the LDS Church. Exactly. So the church has come a long ways. So during this past year, the church issued sort of back-to-back statements after the protests. Uh, you know, the the kind of racist protests that happened back east, um, denouncing racism uh, with a repeatedly stronger statements. How did you greet that? As rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Just words. Mm-hmm. Their actions need to follow up. Did you and did you appreciate all the words? Yes, we did. I, I did. Mm-hmm. I didn't put much faith or belief in it. Okay. It's just rhetoric. That they their actions speak so loudly. I can't hear what they're saying. So you want to see more? Yeah, uh-huh. I want to see okay. Okay. exactly. I want to see them practice what they're saying. Walk the walk. Don't just mm-hmm. talk the talk. Don. I believe it's coming. I honestly believe in my heart that it's coming. And just like she prayed when she wanted to know what was going on, I've prayed and I'm getting the burning that uh, there's big changes coming. And I get to speak to priesthood more than she does. And the priesthood has made it pretty clear that there are changes coming. We just got to wait and see what it is. Well, change is certainly coming in your lives. Now you'll be able to sit in the congregation at Genesis Group. We hope you enjoy those new seats. <laughs> Don, Jerry. Well, yeah, I could ask for <laughs> save me some seats. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Well, Thank thanks you. for Thank having you. us. And turn to sltrib.com for more Mormon news, and we'll see you next time on Mormonland. <laughs>